0: The FT. Hello. This was the week that we felt the reverberations of a great force. It's the product of decades of socialist politics, its rise has been rapid, and it's throwing down a challenge to orthodox capitalism. Yes, it's Corbyn mania, whose adherents were witheringly described by the FT's Janan Ganesh as dog on a string radicals at folk music festivals in the West Country, but whose object, Jeremy Corbyn, remains the favourite to win the leadership of Britain's Labour Party. Oh, and there was the odd column inch about some market bother in China as well. On this show, we'll be talking about China, Corbyn, and how an email from Apple's chief executive saved the company $80 billion. This is the Best of the Financial Times podcasts. I'm Tom Burgess, and I can only apologise for not being Henry Mance, who's on holiday recovering from a series of strenuous lunches. First, China. Black Monday on Chinese markets triggered heavy falls on exchanges around the world. Chris Giles, the FT's economics editor, explained the basics of what was going
1: on. Well, clearly the markets have been in a big funk, certainly over the past week or so, and a bit longer if you look at China. So the Chinese stock market went up into sky-high territory, I'm not going to go into the exact numbers here, through the first few months of the year, and has crashed back down to where it started, or now quite a lot below where it started the year this week. And on top of some pretty bad Chinese economic data, particularly some bad export data over the summer, this has led the rest of the world to wonder whether China, which is on many of the best measures of the world's largest economy, is now growing significantly slower than previously thought, and that's raised questions over the whole global economy, leading to other stock markets around the world falling very rapidly, commodity markets clearly as China's a very large commodity importer, falling very rapidly, the oil price falling below the levels of January, and great uncertainty in the global economy again.
0: Chinese stock markets are even more like the casinos of Macau than stock markets in the rest of the world. Nonetheless, the US Federal Reserve was paying close attention as it mulled the biggest question in the global economy, when to start to raise interest rates. Here's Sam Fleming, the FT's US economics editor.
1: I think the way the Fed will look at this is to try and assess how significant not moves in the Chinese market are, which is something of a casino market, not with huge implications for the global financial system, but more how significant a slowdown is now underway in China. If there is a genuine serious slowdown, which will have knock-on effects around the emerging markets and potentially significant downward effects also on commodity prices and that does uh, seem like something that is relevant to the Federal Reserve as it considers whether to raise interest rates as soon as September. If the Fed thinks it's got problems, pity the
0: Chinese policymakers trying to transform an economy in the middle of a storm. Chris Giles again.
1: One of the things I think that really is The case is that the world matters more to China than China matters to the world, partly because of its export position. And what we would like to see happen in China, and what the Chinese authorities also want, is for the Chinese economy to rebalance towards domestic consumption. But that is a very, very difficult and very long term process.
0: The difficulty with all this China watching is that the decision makers themselves are often nowhere to be seen. Here's Jamil Andalini, the FT's Beijing bureau
2: chief. In the past when you talk to uh, global investors you'd ask them you know you'd raise a question about problems in the Chinese economy and many times you'd get this blanket answer which was the Chinese leaders are very smart there seemed to be this feeling that China's leaders were this, these omnipotent beings who were meritocratically selected and uh, that they had a plan and that you know you should just uh, you know believe in their plan uh, and I think that is really breaking down. People are starting to say, hey you know what they like Policymakers everywhere else. Maybe they don't have some grand master plan. Maybe they're just winging it. And I think that actually, funnily enough, is probably the thing roiling markets the most outside
3: of China.
0: In the studio with me, we have James King, the FT's emerging markets editor, and a distinguished China hand. Hello, James. Hello. We reported this week that the botched attempt to sustain China's stock market bubble, as well as the broader economic slowdown, was casting doubt over the future of China's prime minister. To what extent do we understand how all this is playing out within China's leadership?
3: Well, I mean, nobody ever has a good idea of what's really playing out within China's leadership. But the sources that we have say that Li Keqiang, the premier, could be a potential fall guy from this botched attempt to rescue the stock market and also a somewhat botched attempt to liberalise the rate of the renminbi, China's currency. If Xi Jinping, the president, is looking for somebody, a scapegoat, uh, to blame a a lot of these issues on, then Li Keqiang would certainly fit the bill, because after all, it was him and Ma Kai, a vice premier, who were the architects of this plan to defy financial gravity by uh, preventing the stock market from falling, which has now failed. The stock market is down 50% this year from its peak.
0: And of course, for 30 years, we've been watching uh, the Chinese leadership gradually introduce markets while retaining tight
3: political control.
0: If China's economy continues to slow as it is, what does that mean for the leadership's ability to maintain that political control?
3: Well, it's always very difficult to say. I mean, when we think about political control and unrest in China, where we normally look is employment. I mean, this is the kind of baseline issue for the Chinese government. But when we look at employment numbers in China, they have a consistency year after year that would have made Bernie Madoff blush, I think. Since 2010, they've been running at 4.1% official unemployment level every year. The real unemployment situation in China, according to various alternative indicators, shows that although employment for blue-collar workers, that's the key segment of China's workforce, remains fairly strong... It is, however, now declining in terms of the amount of jobs available every month. And if China's economy slows down precipitously from here, we could be quite quickly into an employment issue such as the one that China faced in late 2008 when suddenly about 30 million Migrant workers in China's factories were laid off in the aftermath of the financial crisis.
0: So, uh, James, if heaven forbid you're suggesting that uh, Chinese government statistics are something other than the gospel truth, how is it that we can see these ripples through the major stock markets of the world if we're relying on numbers that, that could be close to fiction?
3: Let me just give you some numbers. Um, uh,
0: James, these are numbers that you, you've just made up yourself or from <laughs> somewhere else?
3: These are capital economics' own data on GDP numbers throughout emerging markets that came out just a couple of hours ago, actually, they show that in Latin America in June, GDP was zero on average. In emerging Europe in June, GDP on average was minus 1.8. Only Asia is uh, really growing from an emerging market standpoint. Um, Now, why this is important is that Emerging markets were the locomotive that dragged the global economy back to growth after the great financial crisis of 2008-2009. What's happening now, led by this slowdown in China, is that emerging markets are driving the world's growth into, you know, what is approaching low percentage points. So, it is possible that there is a risk of a recession, a global growth recession caused by the emerging market.
0: Thank you, James. I'd better let you get back to writing the entire newspaper again today. The stock of the world's most valuable listed company, Apple, started the week 10% down. No prizes for guessing why
2: it can't be overstated how important China is to the Apple growth story. The smartphone market globally is slowing, and we've already seen that hit other big smartphone makers like Samsung and, and Xiaomi. But the big growth engine is China, where there's just so much growth, both in terms of the number of people that are coming online, and the number of people buying their first smartphone, the deployment of 4G networks, and, and a middle class that can afford an iPhone. So that's at a time when the US is, is becoming, to some extent, more saturated. That's Tim
0: Bradshaw, the FT's San Francisco correspondent. Tim Cook, Apple's chief executive, was having none of it. He chose a television host as his anointed messenger.
2: Tim Cook sent an email to CNBC Mad Money host Jim Cramer, basically saying everything's fine, nothing to worry about. July and August sales were great and very strong, and so there's nothing nothing to see here.
0: The stock duly rebounded, restoring $78 billion to Apple's market value. But is this really how executives should inform investors about the company's performance?
2: This is so surprising. In fact, some people have questioned whether it may actually break SEC rules around fair disclosure, because it was made, in effect, you know, selectively to one media outlet rather than published to all investors in a in a regulatory filing. The SEC themselves are not commenting on that. Any investigation that they did make would probably take a little while. So we, we won't know Immediately, but it does seem unusual, although obviously it's, it's not unusual for Apple executives to tell everyone how brilliantly they're doing in the, in the media.
0: Perhaps executives should just stop fretting about what the share price is doing and take a longer view. This week, the FT Arthur Chat podcast had a special guest in the august form of Nobel Prize-winning economist Joseph Stiglitz. Here's a nugget from the professor.
2: If you have rules that lead firms to be more long-term, to think about long-term investments in their workers, and their plant, their equipment, and research, then the economy is going to grow better. If you have rules of the game that encourage short-termism, focusing on not just the quarterly returns, but increasingly the nanosecond returns, uh, you're not going to make those long-term investments. All of which brings us
0: to another critic of the markets, Jeremy Corbyn. For Jananganesh, our political commentator, among those most enthused by the rise of the bearded, bevested left-winger is the ruling Conservative Party.
2: Well, I think they're too busy high-fiving each other to say very much. But when they do say something, it's, well, within a few weeks, we will brand him as uh, an extreme candidate, uh, left-wing, agitprop revolutionary. We've done it before to Michael Foote and others, and he'll be toast within a few months.
0: But this week, 40 leading economists came out in favour of some of Mr Corbyn's economic policies. They argued that it's not the Labour man's agenda that's extreme, but rather the government's deep cuts to social spending. Is Corbyn riding the same wave as groups like Syriza or Podemos in Europe, or Bernie Sanders in the US? The man himself, speaking to the FT's Jim Pickard in a station cafe, reckons so.
1: I think it's interesting the popular movement that's happening um, not just in Britain but other parts of Europe and particularly the USA, which Mm. is a lot of people, older people coming back into Labour, left, socialist politics, a lot of young people who are very political but not party political, being involved in environment, student campaigns and peace campaigns getting together and so our rallies are a wonderful the diversity of ethnicity, age and
0: faith. That's it for this week. Our producers were Fiona Simon and Feline Reyes. Emma Jacobs will be here next Friday. Thanks very much for
2: listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy the FT Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast presented by me, Claire Barrett, the editor of FT Money. The Money Show comes out every Wednesday and you can download it at ft.com podcasts.